suffer from grave emotional and mental disorders, but many of these do recover if they have the capacity to be honest. Our stories disclose in a general way what we used to be like, what happened, and what we're like now. If you have decided you want what we have and are willing to go to any length to get it, any length to get it, then you're ready to take certain steps. Why are those phrases in there? Why do we go clear back here in the first first line of the second paragraph, chapter 3? And we read a line that says, we learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves. That we were alcoholic. This was the first step in recovery. Why? Why is that clear back here? First line of the second paragraph, chapter 3. Program of recovery is over here in five. It's there because if we be alcoholic, we are caught in a trap we cannot spring. We have to have help. And we can't get help until we recognize the need for it. It's impossible. We're a peculiar breed of cat. We can't hear it, we can hear it, and we can't see it, we can see And don't make a better difference who's talking. For instance, a number of years back, in the state of Virginia, I spent a good deal of time with a great celebrity. Films and CDs, and he and his wife were both out here. And I was very fond of him, and I was very hopeful that something was going to happen. And we sat for almost all day in Richmond, Virginia, Jackson. And this guy's wife, everything I said, she said, "Why?" That's the way I live. I, I, I've known that forever. And I talk a little while longer. She says, that's the way we raised our kids. This is not new to us. We know the whole thing. And it went that way all the morning. Well, they didn't know that I knew that they'd just gotten out of meningers. Both of them. Managers, for those of you who don't know, is a booby hatch. <laughs> they knew this all backwards and forwards and through the middle. But they never heard it. And they didn't hear it when I said it either. And you're going to hear a lot of things that you think you know this weekend. Maybe you do. You may hear a lot of things that you disagree with. That's all right with me, too. If you disagree with them and know why you disagree with them, maybe you should be up here and be back there. <laughs> but that's the way it, that's the way it's going to be. The second condition, of course, is that sobriety has to come first. If you've decided you want what we have and are willing to go to any length to get it, that's top man on the totem pole. 
And I'm one who believes that unless and or until sobriety comes first, we can't have it. And unless it remains first, we cannot keep it. <clears throat> That's what it says here. This is very, very positive stuff. And I'm willing to go to any length to get a tenure edit mixed to success. Some of these we bought, we thought we'd find an easier, softer way, but we could not. With all the earnestness at our command, we beg of you to be fearless and sure from the very start. This isn't a headache we're talking about. We're talking about a terminal illness. Use terminal illness. That's why he said. Because we have to have help. And we got to recognize the need for it before we can get it, and it's got to be taught. That man on the road. Some of us have tried to hold on to old ideas, and results would nail until we let go absolutely. Doesn't say half measures available to fifty percent. Ten percent measures available to ten percent. It says half measures availed us nothing, not a thing. We stood at the turning point. We asked his protection and care with the two hands. We let go absolutely. Because up here without help is too much for us. If there is one who has all power, that one is God. We are finding out. Beautiful. Beautiful thing. Now this is our we're caught in a trap we cannot spring. We've already been to human health. The first time I heard these steps, one and two were essential. I knew that I'd lost the battle of life. I didn't know anything about alcoholism, but I knew I'd lost the battle of life. And I knew that my life was unmanageable by me. And I still know it. And it's never changed. It's still unmanageable by me. No problem to me. Twofold admission of defeat in the first one. And admission that we're not in the second. And there are two big steps. For The first two. Lost the battle of life, number one. You're not, number two. <laughs> So you need help and you need it back. And if you're like me, you've been the preacher, the priest, the doctor. The guy that knows more society than the rich before you ever got to that place. Step three. And so you know you need help. And you can't get it from human power. So we make a decision to turn the world and lie those fear of God. Now this is one of the things that we're going to be spending some time on. This is the most fantastic thing on the face of the earth. There's nothing that will compare with this. The thing that happens to us when we do this. Not when we read it, when we do it. To abandon ourselves completely. 
We made a decision. Send her will and last over to Sheriff Gunn. Now, I don't suppose that there's a man in this room that analyzed himself and decided to turn himself into Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> I don't believe there's one of you, nobody, that did that. If there had been any way under heaven for me to remain in left field, I'd still be out there. We are not the kind of people that run around surrendering on every other street corner. <laughs> that isn't our uh, way of doing things. And here we've, we've lost the battle of life and we're nuts and we have to have help. Now, I told you a little bit ago that the greatest single event in my life up until now, and I'm 72 years old, was when the bottle killed me in January 41. 40. January 46. I was 43. I had read Jackie Alexander's article in the post. In March of 41, Mr. Seed found it, read it, opened the right place and put it on the arm of the chair I sit in right now. <laughs> and when I got home, I read it. I was four sheets in the wind when I read it. And I suspect I thought that was real good for you people that need it. I imagine I did. But five years later, when I came to after a four weeks blackout, my last drunk started on the Friday before Christmas, 1945. And I came to sometime after the middle of January, 46. And I don't remember that the time was that the calendar said it had been. And during that four weeks, the thing that had stopped me was burned out. And I accepted the fact that everything dear to me in life was gone and should be gone. And that I was not entitled to have it back. That was including my wife and my kids and my home and my job and my health and my sanity and my money. It was all gone. And I wasn't entitled to have it back. I knew I was going to die because I'd come within an ace of it the next to the last time out. I'd fallen over on my face and floor in the kitchen, turned blue. And they'd have to get the oxygen squad to wake me up. And the doctor that was with him told me after I came to that to all intents and purposes I was dead. They'd had a hell of a time bringing me back. And that they would 
nobody would ever be able to bring them back again under those circumstances. And, says he, if I were you, I wouldn't do that anymore. <laughs> Said that right to me. <laughs> but I did it again. So I knew he was going to die, and I accepted that too. But I didn't want to die with the record. Now I want you to listen to this, because this is a little bit different than a lot of things that happened. I didn't even want sobriety for myself, because I knew I was going to die. I didn't want nothing for me. But I didn't want to die with the record. I didn't want Mr. C and the kids to remember me as nothing but a tongue-chewing, babbling idiot. No. And in the depth of this thing, I remembered that I'd read the article in the Saturday evening post. And the only two things I remembered about it was that drunks helped drunks and didn't drink. And they called it Alcoholics Anonymous. And I said to myself, if I ever live to get out of this bed, I will find Alcoholics Anonymous. And immediately the curtain dropped. Just like that. Bang, it dropped. There was no more sanity. I was sickened to death, drunk, and insane. And I had a lot of dying to do. But from the moment of commitment until right now, I've never had a drink or pill. Now, this is one of the reasons that I believe so completely and totally that there's only one roadblock between me and you and me and God. And that's the human ego. The only roadblock there is. Because, you see, I sit in the same chair today that I sat in for ten years in hell. The same chair. And I sat in it for twenty-nine years in heaven. Nothing happened to the chair. Nothing happened to my wife. Nothing happened to kids. Something happened to me. And it proves that heaven was always in that chair. I was in hell. But heaven was always in that chair. But nothing happened to the chair, and I'm still in it. Still in heaven. So, that's the reason these, these statements are so very, very positive to abandon ourselves completely. To let go absolutely, it says. And to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God. Now this is the problem. <coughs> Something has to happen that we get rid of the obsession of the mind. And that's what this program of ours is all about. The American Medical Society, we have some of its most illumined members right here. 
American Medical Society says alcoholism is a disease. It has symptoms. It is treatable but not curable. And the only way an alcoholic can successfully live is not to take the next slug. But they cannot tell us how not to take the next slug. They can't tell us how. That's what this book is all about, to tell us how to get rid of the obsessions of the mind that cause us to drink. That's what this whole program is all about, to rid us of the obsessions of the mind that cause us to drink. Now, why am I not drunk tonight? a good question. I'm a tongue-chewing, babbling idiot drunk. Why am I not drunk tonight? This is Friday. <laughs> Thursday night's kick-off night, right? <laughs> <laughs> you start around the machine on Thursday? You get in high gear on Friday? You pay it Saturday, right? <laughs> Over up Sunday, taper off so you can go to work Monday. Some Sunday you taper off so you can go to work some Monday. Why am I not drunk tonight? Because I have the thing I was looking for in the bottle, and that's the only reason I'm not drunk. That's the only reason I'm not drunk. I have the thing I was looking for in the bottle. Now, what is the thing? <laughs> that king-size hurt is gone. You know the king-size hurt. The kids sort of call it that hole in their guts when they're standing on the street corner and the wind's blowing through. That's the kids call it. When I first heard him say that, I said, hey, they don't, they, they've been demeaning somebody. They heard that. They stole it from somebody that knew what he was talking about. But that ain't right. <laughs> I learned that that ain't right. There were the guys that coined it. Standing on the street corner. With a big hole in their guts and that wind blowing through. Big hurt. That's gone. I'm not fighting me or you or life or God or the devil. I am at peace with me and with you and with my very own God. And that's the only reason I'm not drunk. When I say I am an alcoholic, it means this. That I cannot live and drink. And of myself, I cannot keep from drinking. And that's just as true right now as it was 30 years ago. That's step one, says we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable by us. And I've looked all the way through this and through the manuscript from which this was written and through 
to the most recent book that was printed, and there's nothing in any one of them that says that if I'm sober 10 or 12 or 29 years, my life will become manageable by me. They don't say that. I look. <laughs> it's not in there. <laughs> and furthermore, there's nothing in my experience in 29 years that would indicate that my life will ever be manageable by me. Again. But thank God it is no problem to me. Because I have step 11. I have lived by step 11 for 29 years. Thought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood it. Praying only for knowledge of his will for us and try to carry it out. I have lived in total expectancy of and direction for 29 years. And I get it. And you might say, how do you know? I've got the simplest room in the world. I never had it so good. It's the only good life I've ever known, the only easy life that's ever been mine in my entire lifetime. And I've got 29 years to look over sober without a drink or pill, 25 years drunk or drinking, and 19 years before that. And this is the only good life I've ever known, the only easy life that's ever been mine. So I highly recommend it. This is the way to get rid of the obsessions of the mind. Here are the steps we took. We're sober. Now, don't say here are the steps we read or heard read or learned by heart. Don't say that. Don't say here are the steps we interpreted. You can, can't find that in here. Don't say that. Don't say here are the steps we conned God into taking for us. There have been a few people around this neck of the woods that uh, were experts on interpreting the text. There's one guy out in the valley there for a while that was selling interpretations of the text and teaching interpretations of the text, and then he got drunk. <laughs> <laughs> His business went down the rat hole. Don't say that. It says here the steps we took. And the reason we have to take them is because we're caught in a trap we can't spring. We have to have help and can't get help until we recognize the need for it. Now, going on down through to step nine, and I've just got time, uh, Mr. I'm on mention his name, but his initials are Johnny Cream, Senior. <laughs> he said he was sleepy when he came in, and if I had talked a second after 9.30, that he was going to sleep right on the table there and start snoring. So I got to quit. <laughs> but very quickly, the first three steps are decisions. The fourth and fifth 
or action sake. You made a searching and fearless moral inventory of herself. We write the book says very, very specifically that it's good to write right thing now. We're more apt to do it right if we write it. Takes a little longer. It's good for us. So we write it. That's a moral inventory. So we don't have to write every time we turn left when we should, should have turned right. It don't mean that we have to put down everything we ever stole. Or every lie we ever told or every time we ever got drunk. <clears throat> they don't, that that's not what it means. It means to write down enough that we can see the motivation for what we have done up until now. The motivating force in our lives, and of course, if we want to get real simple, the whole thing will boil down to obsessions of the mind, which is ego. Every one of them will boil down to trying to satisfy the human ego, which cannot be done. So we write it down, then we share it. Share it with God, ourselves, and another human being. Another human being is the uh, thing that really uh, sets us up <laughs> for the kill. I can admit to God and to myself hidden the privy, you know. Nobody knows but me and God. But I've had to spread this dirty linen out before another human being. Man, if he's got any ego left after that, he ain't done it. <laughs> That's an ego buster. And so we've written it and shared it, and now we've become willing to give it away, and we give it away. Again. We got two action steps in there. These, these, these next two are not action steps. They're again decisions. Now I find people all over the world beating their brains out trying to get rid of the obsessions of the mind. They're defects of character. I bet you there have been a million hours spent in arguing over why Step six has, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defective character, and step seven says, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. And there have been a million hours spent on what's the difference between shortcomings and defective character. You know, it's supposed to be a difference. Ask Bill. He says, I don't know. He says, I think I didn't want to end two lines right next to each other. It was the same words. He <laughs> says, they mean the same thing. <laughs> so that's going to knock a lot of arguments out, isn't it? But the main thing is that we become willing to give them away and we give them away. We don't do these things. If we could have done away with our defects of character... We would have done it before we came here. I wasn't just jumping up and kicking my heels together saying, Goody, goody, I get to go to Alcoholics Anonymous. 
I'm sure my mother didn't raise me to be a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. She's 96 and she don't believe it yet. <laughs> She's still around. I say I've had 29 years without a drunk, I drink, and she says, well, that man, you could use. What's so hard about that? <laughs> so, we become willing to give them away, and we give them away. And then we've got two more in the first ten. Two of the greatest ones left yet. The most immediately effective steps in the whole program are eight and nine. We made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Made direct amends to such people wherever possible. Except when to do so would injure them or others. If you haven't done that, do it. Do it, do it, do it. Quick. The weight of the world is removed from your shoulders when you honestly take care of eight and nine. And I'm going to tell you this little story, and uh, it won't take that long. I'll still get down on time. Many of you have heard it, but it, it curls my hair yet. About ten years ago, I got a call on a Friday night, just like this, from a guy in Whittier. And he says, Chuck, I'm sitting here with six gun in my lap, and I'm going to blow my brains out. But he says, Jim, says, don't shoot yourself until you've talked to Chuck C. And he gave me your number. And I'm called and I'm ready to talk. So what do you got to say? <laughs> and I says, you called on a bad night. <laughs> I says, I'm talking tonight, tomorrow night, and Sunday night. But Monday night's open. So if you want to see me come down Monday night, and if you don't, blow your brains out. And that's exactly what I told And at 7.30 Monday evening, the doorbell rang. And in came my boy. Now, let me tell you a little story here within a story. This Jim was Jim Willis. And Jim Willis was Sybil's husband for many years. Several was 14 years in our central office. And Jim was a compulsive gambler. And Jim started the Gambler's Anonymous thing and wrote their book. And he'd already done that. And then he became an alcoholic. And he called me one time to come and get me. And I said, where are you? And he was in his office on Pico. And I went and got him. And he got sober. Now, Jim is Lucy's eyesight. He's sure. And he's sort of a sick man, but he's sober. And I talked with him on the phone just the other day. And he's pretty happy. But anyway, it was this Jim that he told this guy, because he not only was an alcoholic, but he was a compulsive gambler. And Jim had told him to talk to me before he blew his brains out. Well, here he was. And we started talking. Now, at 2.30 in the morning, we were right where we are now, at 8 and 9. And I was telling this monkey, now, here's what you got to do. 
see he lost a lot of money that he didn't have. And he had lost it to professional gamblers. And that ain't a very healthy <laughs> situation. <laughs> it don't it don't do much for longevity. <laughs> So, here he sits, and I'm saying, now listen, here's what you got to do. And you got to go to these people and say, look, I am not the big shot I would have had you believe. I'm an alcoholic. And I found a way to live, to live that might let me live one day at a time without a drink for the rest of my life. And one of its conditions is that we got to make amends, and that's why I'm here. Now, says he, I admit the debt. I said to them, you know, this is what he had to do. You go to him and say to them, I admit the debt. I'll owe you the money. And I'll pay you as soon as I can. But I ain't got no money now. Why the truck? I can't do that. They'll kill me. And I said, so what? You won't have suicide on your mind. <laughs> And the old boy started to laugh, and he's still laughing. And he's walking the streets free, man. Ever since, he was laughing right over the hill, you know, when he left me. And he never quit. And he paid him off. Nobody killed him. So one of these things, so if you haven't done eight and nine, good. The way the world goes right off your back when you do them. Now, finish up. Alcoholism. Cuts across our society from the highest low. We are peoples of all professions, all states of poverty and riches. Priests and preachers from all denominations. We have in this field. We have world scholars amongst us. Bankers. No one of whom would have come here if they could have stayed out. So, we have a problem that you and I cannot solve. We have to have help. And those first nine steps will roll away the stone because those are the surrender steps. The surrender steps. Surrender is the thing that opens the door, that allows us to get the help because God himself cannot help until we will allow it. The recognition of the need for help and the turning of our will and our lives over to the of God and the clearing away of the recognition past is the beginning of the tree. Fantastic. Now I'm convinced that you and I have to do this without getting too serious about it. 
we get too serious and nothing happens. If we look too hard, we'll never find. I looked for this thing for 30 years before I got here. And I couldn't find it. I came here not looking for it, and it found me, or we found each other, or something. Wasn't even looking for anything but a way to live one day at a time without drinking. So I could rub out as much of the record as I could. So I want us to have a lot of fun this weekend. Don't be too serious. You know, rule 62. <laughs> Some people put it on their license plate. Rule 62. It's a good rule. The little book's about that tall and about that wide and it's green. Cover, and on the front cover it says Rule 62. And you open it up, and you look, and every page in the book is vacant, except there's a double truck in the middle. And it says, Don't take yourself so goddamn serious. <laughs> and that's what we want to do here this weekend. Have a lot of fun. Not get too serious, but realize the problem that we have that we cannot handle on our own. And to come to see totally before this weekend is over that what I can't do, we can do. With the grace of God. God bless you. Thank you very much. <laughs>